0: Welcome to the podcast, Most People Don't, But You Do. Stories and conversations about the benefits received and the fulfillment enjoyed by doing what most people don't. This is Bart Berkey, CEO and founder of Most People Don't. We're a motivational storytelling and training company where we we provide enabling tools to empower you to do what most people don't. Today's guest is an incredible gentleman. I want to read a little bit about his bio, uh, what his current role is, and how I got to know Mr. Doug Peterson. He is a partner with Prestige Global Meeting Source um, based out of Minneapolis area. He is currently um, served as a partner, gosh, for about eight years now, has been with the company longer than that and has served in every type of role, as you can imagine, executive vice president. He also led the sales team, um, leading strategic oversight and daily operations, And I like that you describe yourself as a player coach because you are not only helping to lead people, but you are also involved directly with customers and going above and beyond to make sure that they are satisfied. Um, A few other things that we will get to uh, Doug in a moment here, but you continue to give back to the community, to others. And I just think you are certainly a person that goes above and beyond and does, does so much, not only for the meetings and events industry, but for people and humanity in general. So let me stop right there and say, Doug Peterson, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Bart. Appreciate it. Great to be here.
0: And hopefully that's not too much of an embarrassing introduction. But, uh, you know, I think the world of you and we've had some really fun conversations as recently as about a week or so ago. And I have to tell you, Doug, this is the story that I'm now sharing an awful lot because mm-hmm. um, you had asked me the riddle. Do you remember what the riddle was with the frogs?
1: Uh, three frogs sitting on a log and three decided to jump. How many are left?
0: Yes. And I just, I had never heard that before. And I guess it's a well-known fable and I had never heard that. So I'm starting to ask a lot of my customers and my participants when I'm speaking that same question. And I had to think about it. And I believe I gave the right answer. I said, well, it depends. It depends on how many people decided. And um, I just, I really like that because it's, It's not only intent, but it's the doing aspect. And when you shared that with me, Doug, it really made me think about, you know, the purpose of my company is to encourage people to do. You can make decisions, but you need to make sure that you are actually doing. So thank you for sharing that. And again, that was a few weeks ago, but it has inspired me ever since. That's great. Yeah. So um, Doug, I would like to get to know you, what has made you so incredibly successful Uh, incredibly generous. Can you tell us a little bit about growing up? Where did you grow up? Did you have siblings? And what were some of
1: your early influencers? Well, I'm uh, the baby of five, actually. I grew up in South Minneapolis. Um, And, uh, you know, basically had three sisters next to me. Uh, We had a two-generation family. My oldest brother is 18 years older than I was. So he was uh, more of a father figure to me, I think, growing up. But, um, you know, having three sisters close to me, um, typical, you know, sibling kind of rivalries that went on. Um, But I think, you know, I was, uh, I was affirmed a lot as a kid, you know, being the baby, you you get a lot of attention. And, uh, and I think that made me more the relational person that I am. Uh, I always laugh that I was, you know, for my life had three daughters, I raised, you know, I had three sisters. um, And I'm in an industry where, Probably ninety-five percent of my clients have been females all my life. Yeah. So I felt like God was preparing me for this career. Uh, you know, even in those early years, uh, understanding. You know, just working with women uh, in a in a productive way um, and having those relationships. So, um, but yeah, we. Uh, you know, South Minneapolis. I, I I moved to Burnsville in my junior high years. Um, my dad ended up buying a motel in in South Dakota in my later high school years. Wow! Made the transition from large city to small town, which was a huge culture shock. But as I look at my history, um, that's one of the defining moments for me was learning to adapt to a whole new reality and having to make a whole new group of friends when I was a senior in high school. And I was ridiculed. You know, I was the city kid with the platform um, shoes and the bell bottoms, in a in a cowboy boot. You know, flannel shirt kind of a culture. So I quickly, you know, adapted uh, and made friends. But it was an awkward season. But, you know, as I look back, there were so many formative things that were happening in my life at that time, Um, you know, and through bad decisions, learning things that I don't want to do again. Um, But, you know, I actually connected friends from my Minneapolis area to my Brookings area friends and in time, I kind of formed this larger group of people um, through that interaction, but so those were definitely formative years. Uh, you know, then I went back to the cities um, to finish business school. I went to two years on South Dakota State University. I majored in dorm parties, um, so that was <laughs> a lesson learned. Uh, with a two point one GPA, I decided it was time for me to get serious. Um, but a lesson learned there too. My parents funded and paid for everything when I was in Brookings, um, and when I went to the cities, I I paid for my school. I worked two jobs. You know, as I say, I had skin in the game. And, and I've kind of brought that mentality to my kids today that I feel like anytime you want to fund something for your kids, you know, it's like, make them have some skin in the game. There's greater ownership. My GPA went to 3.8. You know, I graduated, uh, you know, with ease and, and I enjoyed schooling. You know, I began to enjoy learning uh, because I, I was focused on getting it done. I made the decision to do it. I was paying for it. It was my dollars that were involved. Uh, and so that was a huge moment for me, I think, finishing business school, you know, working two jobs, taking out a student loan, paying for that loan, and living on my own, uh, making adult decisions, you know, those were, were big moments in my life. Now, again, not a perfect path forward like anybody, you know, there's, there's the ups and downs, but, um, but I always had a sense I'd get into the hotel industry because my father owned and managed a motel, my brother owned and managed a motel in Iowa. And so, and when I uh, went through my recruiting steps out of school, then it was like, I, I wanted to work at a hotel. So I ended up getting a job at a front desk of a, a luxury hotel in Minneapolis. Yeah. And um, yeah, after and, about and, a year of working in that environment, I was yeah. promoted up into sales and um, and then basically I was promoted into different sales jobs, recruited by some other companies. And eventually the opportunity to start prestige landed on my lap about six years in. Um, and I accepted the opportunity with the idea that I could represent these resorts and talk about these exciting travel destinations. Uh, and that was the beginning point of prestige in 1986.
0: Um, incredible, incredible. I wanna go back to your growing up years. Uh, when you were in Minneapolis, before you moved to in the family to South Dakota, uh, was, was your family in the hospitality world at that point? Did, did they own um, hotels at that point
1: or not quite my, yet? My brother, um, when we moved to Burns, when I was like junior high, my brother purchased the motel in Iowa. Um, And it was an owner occupied, you know, 38 unit independent. Um, And it worked well for them, you know, and they, they loved it. They did well with it. They became fixtures in that community. And I was, I'd go down there and spend summers and I would help with the motel. I would do projects. Um, And so those things helped me kind of get a formative view of hospitality lane. And then when my dad's business failed later in my high school years, that's when he determined to follow my brother's footsteps and actually buy a motel. Okay, incredible. And at that point, it was probably the most
0: difficult on you because you had shared that your siblings were all older. So you were the only one that was probably leaving high school at the time, correct? When you moved? Yeah, they were all gone.
1: Yeah, I lived all that on my own. Oh my gosh. Wow.
0: Um, Yeah. Never very easy. And I love what you said about having, you know, skin in the game. And I just read this study yesterday and you probably are aware of it, but when people are trying to break certain habits and they gave the example of people that wanted to quit smoking, that if they were paid a fee of $650, they had, let's say a 50% success rate with people being able to give up the bad habit. And they thought, well, if we reward them financially, that they'll be able to do it very easily but only about half did. Now individuals that had to put in $150 with a chance of winning like $400 more had like an 80% chance of being able to quit smoking or a bad habit because to your point they had skin in the game. Yep. Yeah.
1: yeah, so so interesting.
0: Yeah, and and how was that that conversation Um, Did that come as a shock to you when your parents said, look, you know what, you're going to have to, you're going to have to work two jobs, you're going to have to pay for your own bills? Did that come as a surprise? Or was that just a natural progression?
1: Well, let's, I had made, let's just say I I overused alcohol in my Birkin's years. And so when I moved back to the cities, it was kind of a getting my path straight. And um, I went through an outpatient treatment program for a season And I connected with AA at the time and I started building a different kind of friend network. So for me at that time, it was like breaking free from the Brookings life and breaking into this new life in the cities. And so I wanted to build regiments and and working and going to school were just, they kind of went together. So I was really prepared for it. Um, My parents were kind of almost distant from all those decisions. It was more like me deciding this is what I was gonna do. Um, but I was brought to the precipice in a way, you know, I was faced with some, you know, not great consequences when I was in in Brookings because of some choices that I had made. And and that made me realize, you know, it was time for a fresh start. Um, and that's where the move to the cities, living with my sister, going back to school. Yeah. Did any, were, any did,
0: uh, were there any helpers? Were there any people that helped you at the time of, you know, the on the precipice as, as you had shared?
1: Yeah, I mean, there definitely was. I mean, there was a counselor I met with in Brookings for a short time, but then my sister at the time was more of a social work person, and she's the one that steered me towards, you know, looking inside and looking at myself, looking at my issues, looking at our family history, stuff we had going on as a family system, and realized that I need to deal with some of those things. You know, these cycles need to be broken, and so I broke those cycles, you know, because I took her advice and I followed the lane of, you know, pursuing these, um, this outpatient program that at the time, you know, you met a lot of other people like you um, who had a lot going on, but just had made some poor choices or had some patterns, some family systems that were kind of holding them back. Yeah. And, um, and those positive decisions, those little steps forward, those little voices of encouragement and following those voices, um, Again, it's the three frogs analogy. You know, I, I could know to do right, but until I actually stepped into that group and interacted and confessed my own issues, right. put them on the table, nothing's gonna change.
0: Yeah, yeah, it sounds like you did some growing up very, very quickly. Yeah, oh, big, that was a quantum two years. Yeah, it sounds like it. Well, in and thank goodness it all happened that way. Um, yeah. it, it, so you had referenced again, you know, having uh, three sisters and, you know, understanding that in the working world that you've been fortunate to work with, you know, majority of your customers have been female and ladies. Um, Did you get a sense that hospitality was right for you with your brother owning the hotel and being able to help them out in Iowa? Or was it, you know, after that, was it after your father purchased the motel? Like, when did you get a sense of this
1: is really what I want to do? Yeah, I think it was when I was in business school and I was realizing that there was a couple things. It was the motel ownership and it was working in those, those lanes, feeling a call to maybe hotel management. But actually growing up, um, you know, the, the most positive memories I have as a kid were taking our trips to Arizona and we would go and stay at like a dude ranch. I learned a horseback ride. I heard, learned to play golf in Arizona. And so there were these treasured family memories that were built around travel and staying in a beautiful, like nice resort. And so for me, there was an attachment to like something really utterly good, uh, in travel and connecting. And so, and I think that kind of fast forward a little bit, but I think those were in me, the sense of travel and the enriching things that it brings to families. Um, and then I take the motel kind of thing and this idea to manage, but then also this resort thing. So when Prestige, when the opportunity came up for Prestige in 86, I think those two lenses were like bridges that helped me kind of walk into this lane feel like this is definitely right for me. Like the idea of representing resorts when those were my great childhood memories was very, um, I think that was part of it. You know, I don't know how conscious that was at the moment but as I think back, it probably was formative. Yeah, no, for sure. And And you had shared,
0: that it was something like the prestige opportunity kind of fell into your lap. And I know that you started in the hotel world. You actually, you and I both uh, very similar times worked for Hyatt and mm-hmm. you were at the Hyatt Regency in Minneapolis. Yep. Can, can you talk about how the opportunity did present itself? Uh,
1: well, the prestige, it was uh, interesting when I was my first job in the selling side, um, I was with a company called Dunfee Hotels, which was sort of Omni's predecessor. The director of sales of that hotel was the sister-in-law of the founder or the person that started Prestige, his wife. And so they knew each other. And, and I was, you know, one of this gal's performers. I was, you know, we had a great relationship and I was, you know, kind of had a work ethic that she probably admired or liked. And um, she gave me some challenging projects, and I always just kind of took them on. And so it was a relationship, you know, I think with her trusting me, and then her telling this owner's wife that, um, hey, this Doug's your guy. And so when I got the first interview opportunity, there, there was already a, a, an expectation that, hey, you should talk to Doug, he's the because they were looking for someone in Minnesota who had Minnesota relationships, who'd worked in the industry and had a certain personality and a certain kind of, I don't know, focus, mm-hmm. drive to succeed, whatever it might be. And um, they interviewed me, <laughs> it's so funny. I remember you know, one of the questions they asked me was, you know, what, are, what, what sports are you successful in? And I says, well, I, I was, you know, I let in golf for like three years. Well, that was the right answer because I was gonna open up an office by myself in St. Paul and I was gonna be very much of an individual that was gonna do it on my own versus being surrounded by a team of individuals. And um, so it was interesting how all those things were um, part of the process, I think, and, and how they received me into that role and, and how it was just the right fit for me, you know? So opening up an office would be your description of being a player and coach, right? Yeah, and, and I, exactly. But I was, you know, by myself at the time. So I had to find other encouragers so other friends of mine that were in different businesses, you know, we'd meet for these like power breakfasts and kind of these stir one another up, you know, mm. got the fire, got the fire, got the burning desire kind of thing, you know, because you need that encouragement. You need that constant flame building so that you, you, you stay the course and you remind of why you're doing this. And because to do anything uh, uh, where you're walking through these challenges, you've got to have encouragers in your life. And you have to have people building you up and helping you stay fixed on the lens, or on, the, on the, the vision of what you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, nobody can do it alone. You know, it's this interdependence. And so you, you've got to find those, those resources, those people. Uh, and I had a couple of those friends, you know, that helped me along the way.
0: Yeah. And I'm just curious, Doug, are those friends still encouragers in your life?
1: Uh, yeah, actually, they are. One is um, actually worked with us for a season, but yeah, he absolutely has been. Now I haven't connected with him for a while, but this is a good reminder. I yeah, probably out and uh, and have lunch once again. Right, most people don't stay
0: in touch, but we know Doug Peterson does and will. Uh, <laughs> and it, and it's funny that you just were referencing about the, the encouragers, and I spoke to um, a great. Uh, lady yesterday, she is the senior vice president of worldwide sales for an airline company. Mm -hmm. And I was asking very similar questions because I like to look at what themes allow individuals to be so successful like yourself. And she said she almost had her own personal board of advisors. And Mm -hmm. they were people that she would just bounce ideas off saying, look, is this, does this make sense? What do you think of this? Here's an opportunity. Here's a challenge. And that really becomes such um, such a steady notion or a consistent theme with leaders like yourself that you can't go it alone it's good to be able to talk to people it's good to work with people that you trust respect and admire just to share ideas Um, do you do you find Doug that that they are typically inside your
1: realm of industry or are they outside to be great resources I mean it's probably a little both but more often than not it's probably been outside you know in the beginning it was clearly outside um as they've evolved i am actually in an advisory group now that's uh advisor business owners and they're from all different walks of life mm-hmm. and, I, and I do find that that's helpful um what's interesting when you get into those realms you have some guy with an engineering company and some guy you know running restaurants and some guy you know owning a, a furniture business and you know the commonality to all businesses, uh, there's so so many similarities to what we do. Whether you're providing a service or producing a product, um, the, the issues businesses face are very common. And so, um, but there's also perspectives you gain from other industries you can translate into your industry, uh, and it's it's been very helpful to have the fresh perspectives that I get from some of these other leaders. And I think I brought similar ideas to them. From things I see in our world that they can apply into their world. So I think it's good. Yeah to get outside it, your lane. You know, yeah,
0: I I, and I love and I love that you support that and, and that you, you know, that you're sharing that. Um, I just got an email this morning, believe it or not, from an organization that is looking for a CEO mentor. And the qualifications are you had to lead a large team in the past. And when I was with mayor and Ritz carlton I was leading, you know, a team of up to 14, 15 people, we did over half a, yeah, almost half a billion dollars worth of revenue. But, you know, now, because it's my own company, I have the title of CEO. Well, I was never a CEO before, but apparently they thought that my background would lend well to being able to help others. And to your point, Doug, none of the people that they want to align me with to have me serve as a mentor are in the hospitality world. They're all, uh, or travel related world. They are all outside of travels, meetings, and event world, which I thought was rather unique.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that's interesting. But I, I get it, you know, I can see it now. Um, yeah. There's just universal principles that I think apply to all business. And um, it's just a matter of putting them into practice. Which is why when you and I first talked, you know, your message resonated with me, you know, sort of getting things done, doing things, the things people don't do, you encourage people to do that. Um, that there's these universal principles that if you apply them to any business, they're going to help you be successful. And right, right. so, you know, okay. and it's also like you think about hiring, you know, it's like you, you hire attitude and you train skills because you can't, you can't train an attitude. People have it or they don't kind of thing. And so um, you kind of focus on, on the fundamentals and then you can, you can train in the specifics of that business separately because there's, and those nuances almost don't matter in the sense of getting the, the foundation right. Yeah. And
0: um, a gentleman who's the managing director of Edition Hotels, uh, the line, the title for the podcast interview that I did for with him was, you can't teach nice. And yeah. his whole point is that they would go out, um, Edition Hotels is the name of the company. Yeah, I know the and brand. Yeah. yeah. So, so Doug, they would go out if they're opening up in Iceland, as an example, he said they would take the management team and let's say there was 10 people, five would go to this this restaurant five would go to this venue, and they would observe to see who else was giving good service, when no one else was watching, who else would be kind, who else would be caring. And I just, you know, what a simple approach, but that's exactly Mm -hmm. what they needed to do. Because to their point, they said, Look, if I'm sitting down with an interview, and you ask me, am I organized? Well, if organized, if organization is important to the job, of course, I'm organized. I'm great at at organizing thing. I'm great at relationship building, but yeah. really are they, you know, most people can probably tell and say the right answers to interview questions, but it's when we catch them doing, being themselves and being authentic, yeah. which um, which kind of leads me to the next question, Doug. And again, I'm so grateful of your time. And I know our listeners are furiously taking notes as I am taking notes, because I learn something every time that I have a chance to talk with you. Uh, can, can you talk a little bit about culture and the culture fit that you found initially with within Prestige. And then even when you're looking to hire and select people, um, how do you describe the culture that exists
1: within Prestige currently? Well, I mean, we've, now that we've sort of grown up, we've, we've sort of codified our core values in specific ways, but I would think, you know, in in our early life, you know, we would talk about the three R's, and it was the three levels of relationship that existed in our in our business, and it was how you needed to cultivate and and intentionally manage those three areas of relationship. Um, you know, one being the client that you're serving and the clients that you're serving, one being the vendor community that you're part of, and the third being sort of your your team members, uh, other people within your your core team. Uh, because they're gonna be helpful in, in collaboration and you know, applying best practice and so on. And so, you know, relationships first was, I think it's been a mantra for us for a long time. And it's the idea that you know relationships matter because people matter. So it's just a foundational pledge that people matter and that treat people with dignity and respect no matter who they are, and treat everyone as if they're valuable because they are, and and start there. Um, and then seek to create value in, in every relationship. Um, and value is not necessarily a monetary thing; it, it can be, um, but it can also be, you know, a process improvement or just creating value in, in just relationship. You know, feeling valued as a person, feeling um, understood, um, feeling heard uh, when people have things they want to share. You're creating value as you do that. So have an empathetic ear. You know, being genuine in your communications. Um, not out there in this sort of transactional way trying to just yeah. get something from people but to truly try to bring something into the relationship yeah um, and, and do you think is that hard for when
0: when you know prestige continues to grow is it hard to find that in people in new hires that that, that people are empathetic that they're authentic is it difficult these days to find those types of of employees and
1: coworkers i mean yes probably in some ways but you know what what's interesting is that a lot of the people that we have have kind of fallen into our lap so to speak and part of it is through networking and through doing business and through life of the different things that we're involved in you meet certain people and then the the cream kind of rises to the top and you kind of identify you know they're a fit for us you know there's something about that person you just sense they have some of those raw material. Now, there's the, yeah, there's the four personality styles we talk about as a company. Um, you know, We had a presenter some years ago that was a magician out of Orlando, and he did this great little personality thing, and he takes the, the, uh, the, the um, playing cards, and he takes spades, um, diamonds, clubs, and hearts, and he breaks it into this kind of personality formula. And it's very interesting. It's very inter- entertaining, but it's also very useful. Um, So the the point we've learned, you know, the the spade, you know, being this driver dominant, you know, kind of get things done, you know, fast personality, cooler on the personality scale, you know, how he communicates that cultural value is different than how the diamond who's, you know, faster thinker, but also warmer on the personality scale, kind of the woohoo, you know, fire up high five kind of person, you know, the way they appropriate these values and, and live out these values is a little bit different and then the club, you know, the, the slower personality, the one who's a little cooler personality wise, you know, he's more the analytical, um, you know, they're slower in how they process things, uh, versus then the heart, you know, on the other side, you know, the warmer, you know, personality, um, the slower though on the, on the, on the thinking and, and speaking scale, they're very relational, very you know, into pets. And, and so you have to sort of think about who these people are and they all sort of, these these core values are, uh, in a sense, lived out a little differently because of that personality style. So you have to sort of see through that lens, because um, you know obviously we all are very unique, you know, in, in how we approach life. But that underlying core is there in all those different personality styles, and we um, we have all of them on our team. It's interesting. Yeah,
0: and you know, and just as you described that, it reminded me of. the the fit aspect which you referenced and you're going to interact with so looking at your group of resources um it's going to be people that you have some things in common with and that you can trust and respect admire them because they probably have similar values to yours totally And, and you know that's not that difficult and naturally people gravitate toward people that have common values and gosh, you know, when you and I chatted the other day, we could have talked for hours and hours and it was so interesting because we have core similar values about how to treat people and how to make things happen and how to be kind and show humanity. Um, Can can I ask um, what, what are your, well, and I kind of just referenced a few of them, um, knowing what your core values are, which card would that magician have identified you
1: with? I'm What's a diamond. A diamond. Yeah. In, yeah. in remind person. Us? Well, it's uh, it basically it's um, the scale is if you're higher on the scale, you're faster thinker, faster, talk. To- you think and talk more quickly. You're just, you're, you're more of a fast paced personality. And then if you're right on the scale, you're warmer in the personality scale. If you're left on the scale, you're cooler on the personality scale. So the, the spade is the upper left you know, fast, but cooler on the personality scale. So they're the driver dominance. I'm more on the right side, you know, one personality scale, I I'm definitely communicative, I'm very verbal, Um, I'm a connector, Uh, I'm an encourager, I'm, you know, a high fiver, you know, all of that. Um, And so that's how I, you know, have my business leadership is focused around. We have two diamonds, you know, I have another partner that's a diamond, and then I have another partner that's a spade. And he's a spade, spade, you know, oldest male um, and, you know, driver dominant. Um, But again, very, they're very talented, great salesperson, you know, great business skills. Um, It's, and so it's just appreciating, you know, these different styles and how they, how they all play out. But I'm, I'm definitely a diamond. Yeah. And one of the questions that I like to
0: ask leaders on this call is the importance about self-awareness. So knowing what you're very, very good at, and as you just described, being a diamond, being a quick thinker, but you're also an encourager and you're a high-fiver, um, the aspects in which you need to surround yourself for things that perhaps you're not as good at. Are there any things that, that, that from a self-awareness perspective, you're not, you know, I'm, I'm good at this, but I really am not great at this, or I don't enjoy doing something, and how have you been able to compensate in
1: your career to fill those voids? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been finding outside helpers for sure. Um, you know, as we've gotten into this partnership formula, it's, it's amazing how it's worked out because the three partners all have different skill sets and have fit naturally into different lanes. Um, and we also have a great, you know, CFO you know, on the finance side. And so, you know, those are not my strengths. Um, they're not areas I naturally would flourish. And so we've been able to build a model where I can spend my time cultivating people, developing sales, a lot of customer interface, a lot of interaction with sales team members, brainstorming, bringing life experience to the table for the people that are doing the business that, that we're in. Um, and then our my, my spade partner can be more involved with finance and, and business related issues and um, some of the other parts of the, the company that are required there. And my other diamond partner, you know, he's more in the marketing and uh, ideas. He's very creative. Um, and so there's, um, it's, it's just been amazing how that's come together. We thought at first having three heads, if you will, was going to be a challenge. And it has been in some ways because coming to consensus sometimes is not always easy, but mm-hmm. it's been a blessing in the sense that we all three gravitate towards different lanes where we are Naturally gifted, and we, we spend more of our time working in those lanes. Um, I get back to the book we read years ago, Strength Finders 2.0. You may have read that book. You know, mm-hmm. you can spend your life on your weaknesses and you might move up, you know, one notch. Whereas if you spend your life cultivating your strengths, you'll probably move up five notches. Right. And so focus on your strengths, not your weaknesses.
0: Yeah, and do what you love and do what yep. you're passionate about, yep. which I know is exactly what you're getting to do every single day. And you, yep. you, re- you reference cultivating people and cultivating salespeople. And as this will go out to approximately 20,000 people, and um, in, in we're, we're blessed and fortunate that so many people have taken interest in this podcast and in these positive messages, a lot of the individuals that listen are in the sales-related field. So Mm -hmm. from your perspective, cultivating salespeople, being a former salesperson, being a salesperson, what do you think some of the most
1: important characteristics are of a great salesperson? Um, Well, first, it starts with somebody that has some drive and desire. Um, You know, we always talk about the fire in the belly. You know, I give people the fire in the belly speech. If they're going to come in as a sales partner, it's like, do they have the fire in the belly? Like, do they want it? because if you don't want it, you won't endure the challenges to get to where you wanna be. And so it starts with an internal self-check that says, how bad do I want this? Like, does it, is this me? And if this is me, man, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go through whatever I need to go through to get to that point of success. And so there's that starting point of drive and fit um, where you connect with a passion place and, and a gifting place or something, I, they wanna do this. Uh, it's almost like they can't not do this. I mean, that's a good starting point. Um, you know, then I think it's you know somebody who's you know um, lifts the room. You know, personality-wise, they they bring that that positive attitude. They you know being around them just kind of makes you feel better um, because you know that that's the kind of person you want to bring into your customer world and your vendor world. And and I think so that personality style. Um, uh, and and again, it can it can take these different forms that we talked about but there's there's still this genuine warmth there's this genuine sense about who they are um they're they're not putting a, an act on the screen uh, but it's something that's genuine to who they really are um and through an interview process you can been to identify you know what that is uh, we have a guy that works for us right now and he says you know I've, I've had my dream job i wrote down like 20 years ago and he says i am now living that dream like he is absolutely living the dream world. He never thought this kind of job would exist, but he was the right person in the right market at the right time. And he had all the right skill sets. Um, So again, alignment with your past, you know, skills development, you know, where you've been, who you've served, uh, organizations you've worked in, you know, all those are helpful because it it brings a a professional um, credibility, you know, as you walk into this new space to do what we do. And, and provide that to customers. So I think that that background piece is also important. Yeah. Um, and, and just you, yeah, so just Doug, just as you described it, the alignment
0: with the past, you know, it gives the credibility, but it probably also gives them appreciation. If they had worked for a different organization before joining your team, they're probably even more grateful, just as that one gentleman said is living his dream right now. Yeah. Right. So, so if you go from, you know, the perfect company right out of school um, and you're with that company for 10 years and then you realize that there's other companies out there that aren't so kind, you're not going to be as appreciative and you're probably going to not work as hard.
1: Absolutely. No, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And one other thing that you said that I have never really thought of before, and that's why I love talking to you, Doug, because uh, you, you had referenced create value. Um, so with salespeople, they need to create value, but value is not always money. Mm -hmm. And when you share that you need individuals that you believe the best salespeople lift the room and they're positive.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And you know what, that's why, um, that's what people can provide. I can provide a positive attitude. So whenever we talk, whether I'm asking you for a contract or not, we can still have genuine, sincere, real conversations that are positive and forward thinking. And it's going to, that that's going to solidify the relationship. And I yep. don't need anything from you. You don't need anything from me, but it's because of that positive aspect of authenticity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I never really thought about that, that a value that a salesperson can bring is outlook. Yep,
1: absolutely. Uh, it, the attitude. It,
0: yeah, attitude and outlook. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I think that this is great learnings, not only for me again, but but for um, the individuals listening.
1: Um, you know, a tagline that we've used, Bart, is that, you know, if I can't make a client, I can make a friend. Yes. And, and I think if you approach every interaction that way, you know, I can bring something to that interaction that's positive for that person that's my first goal, you know, and if I can create business out of it, that's good for them and me. That's, that's great too. I mean, obviously we have goals as salespeople, but, but I find when you're fixed on the right things, you know, the, the results happen, you know, it's like, I've talked about, like if you focus on just bottom line profit and you don't focus on the process along the way uh, and being this certain company that represents these core values, you'll miss it. Like if you're just focused on bottom line, the bottom line starts with people and, and lifting the room and and treating people with dignity and respect and providing a valuable resource or service to them and whatever it is you're doing. Um, And when you do that, right, you know, profit will be the end game. You have to manage the business along the way. Don't get me wrong, but it's, there's a sense in which you've got to have your lens in the right focus. And it starts with doing the right thing with those customers uh, and for your vendors. And when you do those things well and you manage your business, you will have profit.
0: Incredible, incredible. And Doug, I want to be very respectful of your time. And you know, I could speak to you forever. I do have two questions remaining mm-hmm. for you if you're okay time-wise. Yeah. Um, it, as you, you, you shared focus on the right things and core values. And when you focus on the right things and when you do the right things, business is naturally going to come. Mm -hmm. I've been so impressed about the kindness that you represent. And just even looking, you know, LinkedIn profile is one example where you can get to know people, but you have um, given so much of your time, you know, involvement with Feed My Starving Children, um, doing mission trips to Miami to help individuals in a homeless shelter. Um, Can you talk about Why do you think you have become that type of person that gives back so much?
1: Um, You know, it's that attitude of gratitude. Um, It's, I went through a season of my life when I kind of came to the end of myself in my early 30s. And it was at that point that God like made me look heavenward and see things differently. And it was the deeply humbling experience to realize like how much I needed him Mm -hmm. and how much I could see his hand already providing. Mm. And so then it was that sense of sort of giving my life to this bigger idea, you know, and when I gave my life to the bigger idea, you realize there was all these opportunities around you to serve, you know, both in your, in your daily workplace, you know, to be a blessing in some way. Mm -hmm. And also these other opportunities to serve, you know, homeless shelters or to go on mission trips and to find people in need and to share hope and good news that everyone needs to hear. Um, So it's sort of like when you've been touched by that, like you want to share it with others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And in what you just shared, end of life, you almost experienced experience end of life. And I think you just said it like 30 years old. And and I, and I heard a quote from someone the other day that said, you know, individuals are born and it's just perception, right? Theory, individuals are born with two lives and the second life, your second life begins when you realize that you only have one life to live. So it's kind of that awareness. I'm not doing it full justice, but it's this, right. It's this awareness. And you and I have talked, you know, I had a heart attack a year and a half ago and I am more gracious than ever before and more grateful than ever before because you realize, you know, you, you wanna do as much good as you can while you're here. Yes. Um, and and did, did you also find that prestige also gives back a lot? Is that something that you helped to create or were they naturally always a giving company and very involved with social responsibility?
1: Beforehand, or how did that you know, come about? I, we weren't in our older life, you know. Our our former owner didn't have maybe that that same kind of vision. As we uh, reorganized the business and came in as three partners, that was something we wanted to do right out of the gate. Um, but we were sort of getting the company stabilized, and so, but as quickly as we could, you know, we began to align with outreaches and my my other diamond partner on the West coast has some strong passion in this way. And so we aligned with uh, an outreach serving veterans um, with, um, with guide dogs. And, um, and it was, it's very heartwarming and we we have this check we give away every year at our our meeting. Um, And we formed a relationship with that group. We've had a couple of other, one other ministry that we've come alongside and now there's a, an orphanage in um, Central America that we have worked with. Um, so I think, yeah, as a company, as we grow, you want to look for more opportunities to serve because it's like, I think the more you've been, the, the more you've been given, the more responsibility and sense you have. And you you feel that, that success isn't just for me. It's that you want to be a source of grace to other people, uh, administering grace in its forms that comes through you. Mm-hmm. And so I think, yeah, I mean, that appetite has increased, you know, mm-hmm. as I a- Success has increased and there has been opportunities that we've engaged in and, and more that we want to be engaged in. Oh, love it. And, and
0: I think I shared with you the podcast I did with a gentleman, Bob Westfall um, and uh, Westfall Gold is the name of his company. And mm-hmm. he talks about courageous generosity. Being courageous in giving. And his point is that the more that he gave as an individual, the more that he received. He he wasn't doing it for that reason. And the more that his company gave to help others, the more that his company grew, so oh. it, you know, like, how nice is that when that
1: happens? Yeah. Well, the old saying is, you can't outgive God. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so, Doug, I truly appreciate the the time. Um, and I know the last eighteen months—if we call them eighteen months—and I I'm I was asked not to use the P word anymore for the situation that had been happening globally, um, yeah. from a friend of mine and from clients of mine. They want me to say setback. So. What is one thing you believe is a positive outcome as relate to the setback that the world has gone through within the last 18 months or so? What is one positive thing that you're like, you know what, this is good. We need to think about this as a result of what we experience. Anything
1: come to mind? Definitely. I mean, I think the first and foremost thing is breaking out of the frenetic pace that everyone was in. It's like, Restriking a balance um, for your business life, um, work had become, I think, way too emphasized and way too. It was like was all people were about was work, and they were spending way too much time involved in. It. Even when they were home, they were just still involved in work, and and when you can begin to have those those barriers where you can break into a personal life. And, and then shut off your workforce and then have that time with family or friends, whoever you're with, um, and be present in those places and have some margin, you know, in your life to be able to do that. I mean, that's what the COVID era was shocking for people that just were always traveling and now they're home. It's like, wow. And, but they made all these discoveries. And, and, you know, for me, it was a great reconnect with my family. And um, so I think that's been, the big positive its just the importance of creating life balance. Um, not that we don't have things to get done and we shouldn't be working hard during the week. We should, um, but it's, it's, it's having the proper boundaries and, and seeing the importance of having a less frenetic base and, yeah. and creating that life
0: balance. Yeah, no, and I love that. I love that, right? Barriers to break into your personal life, being living in the present, spending time mm-hmm. with family. One gentleman uh, that lives up in the Boston area, he said, um, when before the setback, he was used to jumping on a plane, sometimes at five in the morning, leaving the house at 330 in the morning, so he could be in New York for a a. 7am breakfast. And he said, you know, it wasn't fair to his body anymore wasn't fair to his family.
1: You know, no, that's the stuff I've done that. And that's, yeah. that's duty, man.
0: Right. And he said, look, you know, to the customers that are asking him, is just like, you know what, I really would love to be able to see you um, instead of a seven o'clock breakfast. How about if we do a 10 o'clock coffee? Would yeah. that work? And when he asked the questions, his customers, potential clients said, yeah, sure. I Absolutely. want you to be, I want you to be happy and healthy and refreshed when you arrive. You don't need to wake up at 3.30 in the morning for me. You're yeah. right, find that balance. Yeah. Um, Outstanding, That's outstanding. Great. Um, so, Doug, again, uh, just really, really wanted to thank you for being an extraordinary person. You know, a kind humanitarian. You continue to influence so in, in such a positive light. The people that you work with, uh, the customers that you work with, the partners that you work with as well as so many others so i am so grateful to have the had had the chance to be able to chat with you further to learn a little bit more about what makes you tick to allow our listeners to learn a little bit more about you and about all the great things that you're doing with prestige global meeting source and others um any any other final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners
1: well just you know i think to take time to reflect and to, to reconnect with with what's good and to align yourself around that and uh, and to be encouraged, you know, each day, you know, every day has its, its issues and, and failures, but to kind of start each day with that clean slate, um, with that hopeful attitude. And if you have a bad day, put it aside, you know, let it go and, and walk into the new day with a fresh perspective, uh, with that clarity of, you know, I'm, I'm gonna focus on a good day today and bring that, that better self into that day. You know, I, I need that on a daily basis. Yeah,
0: incredible. What what great words of wisdom. Again, Doug Peterson, thank you so much. Partner with Prestige. Um, just terrific gentlemen. Thank you for inspiring and sharing such positivity.
1: Thanks, Bart.